when I sit to meditate and I feel my back is aching or actually I feel a heaviness in my chest because I'm missing dad and kids and actually bring it on because that feeling of missing my family is like revealing values not to skirt away from it just to sit with it for a moment and by sitting in it and self-soothing and accepting it maybe with from that self-compassionate perspective i can hold the idea that yeah there's you know from a buddhist perspective there's suffering in the world but there's the thousand joys there's taking the dog for a walk and lovely friends and good food and sunshine so i think that enables that balanced perspective Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome for another episode of the Finding Equilibrium show. I'm delighted to be here, delighted you're here and delighted today that my guest is Andy Roberts, who is a leadership coach and a workshop facilitator. And that uh, introduction, I don't feel really does the enormous experience that you have um, justification. Uh, but please, Andy, if you could uh, introduce uh, yourself more um, formally to the audience who are not familiar with your work and um, tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you become a leadership coach and get to facilitate some amazing workshops around the world? Cool. Well, thanks, Lawrence. Thanks for inviting me in the first place. Uh, we've talked about it for a bit, so uh, I'm really pleased to be here. Yeah, it's, it's kind of been a long journey into kind of mindfulness and emotional intelligence work. Um, if you talk to my partner about whether I'm mindful and emotionally intelligent, I talk a good game around it, but <laughs> quite often I'm there until I'm not. So it's a, it's kind of like we've always got that kind of beginner's mind when it comes to that. But it's it has been a long journey because I started back in back in 1830. No, I started back at KPMG, so I had 13 years working as a consultant there, and it was one of those things where, you know, I I done my accountancy qualifications. Um, you know, moved into corporate finance, thought I was bigger than Ben-Hur, um, got a transfer to, to work in Sydney from London, felt amazing. Everything was going well. There was loads of money and it was all wonderful and all the rest of it. And I was enjoying my role, but I had a sneaky feeling that something wasn't quite right. So it was something about a values misalignment, not that KPMG is not a wonderful place to work and I've got good friends there. But I was asked to work on a number of transactions, such as there was an online uh, gambling organization, there was um, an arms manufacturer. So on a number of occasions, I kept saying to my boss, don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. So in about this was this was back in 2002. So I, I, I decided, you know, I'd, I'd become really interested in all things well-being, gone out, learned to become a sports massage therapist whilst being a corporate finance person. Um, started practicing yoga. And then 2002, like a lot of accountants, lawyers that I come into contact with, kind of thought, well, I want to go on a well-being journey. So I, I went to India, studied to be a yoga teacher, got really into like um, a style of yoga, which was really kind of embedded in Eastern, you know, the, the Bhagavad Gita and, and so on, you know, really studying Eastern philosophy. And then that kind of took me back to living in London, set up a well-being business, which is very much grounded in the physical aspects of stuff. Lots of massage, lots of yoga, slowly attracted other people to work in, in our business. 
And then this is a long story, but I'm getting to the crunch line. Um, then I became, because of my interest in kind of mindfulness activities, you know, why doing these things helped me feel more calm and centered and balanced and energized. You know, why did it help me? Why did it help my colleagues? Why did it help my friends? Why did it help my clients? So then I took a master's degree in positive psychology in 2008, uh, University of East London. Went down that route of became, becoming a, an emotional intelligence coach. And then with the business in the UK still ongoing, still grounded in the physical aspects of well-being, I moved back to Australia, I moved to Australia 2014. So it's been since about 2010 where I've been in this strange crossover space of trying to think about how do I apply my 13 years at KPMG, my accountant's head, with my massage therapy, my yoga, with then learning all these kind of different psychology tools. And it's that journey that has been really interesting to me. How do you apply this stuff in order to add value within an organization whilst remaining authentic to many of the Eastern contemplative traditions, which I've kind of learned on. And then, then finally, five, five years ago, I was asked to um, start lecturing at a college of medicine and dentistry at James Cook University. And to be honest, that is, you know, I'm super proud of that because I'm an accountant, massage therapist, who's gone on to, to work with medical students. Um, and it's meant that what I do has to be really, really grounded in evidence mm. um, so yeah that's been the journey and that's how I kind of got into this kind of strange hybrid world of well-being <laughs> and trying to add value in the leadership space fascinating thank you for sharing that uh, with, with us if I could just go back I'm really uh, curious when you were initially like you're at KPMG so in many ways you'd risen to the uh, to the top of the tree, uh, you had a job that many would love. You we were working for a company that was, but there was something missing. And what was it that um, that that took you to India in particular? What was it that inspired you to actually go on that journey to really seek out some of those Eastern philosophies that um, uh, that you're now familiar with? Yeah, I think part of the journey to India was to kind of go to close to be closer to the origins. So I was really. I don't know, I kind of just, in all my interactions with my, my teachers, if you like, I've been very lucky to fall in with some excellent ones. So, for example, my Iyengar teacher has been teaching, she's 65 now, she's been teaching since a long time. Um, mm -hmm. And she was directly taught by Iyengar, you know, one of the greatest kind of like yoga gurus there is. So, having been taught by Brenda and a number of other people in a similar kind of space thought, well, I want to get as close as I can to the origin. Um, and, and that's what I've tried to do in, in, in you know, in my, lot of, in, in my subsequent journey into different mindfulness practices. So, um, you know, we've talked about it before, you know, spending time in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition or mm -hmm. spending time in the Vipassana um, meditation tradition, trying to get as close to the origin and then thinking about, well, how can I apply this in a modern workplace environment that doesn't mm. feel strange? So, so interesting. So given where you are now, I'm really curious that if you met yourself again in 2002, before you'd embarked on this, um, on this journey, like what advice would you give to yourself um, at, that, uh, at that point? Would it be, I don't know, put words in your mouth, like what, what, uh, what would you guide yourself um, to, to, to do? Or 
you know, put in put the question another way, if you talk to someone who is just like you, but in the current context, when they've gone through um, a lot more change than then, uh, you know, we're going through um, all kinds of um, stresses and um, uncertainties that um, that wasn't uh, that wasn't there in 2002. Um, burnout's a problem, you know, lo lots of issues as we know. Um, what, what guidance would you give to someone in that, uh, in that situation? That's a really great question. And I think there's so many people who are in that kind of, you know, kind of career transition space. They're kind of trying to move towards more meaning and purpose and so on. So there's a whole separate webinar probably that we could talk about that. But <laughs> I'll probably say to my, myself is just like, you know, um, breathe and it's ridiculous my business is called breathe right breathe mm -hmm. australia breathe london you name <laughs> it and one of the reasons i called it that is because um a pa in our department at kpmg when i was in london you know it was about three o'clock in the morning and i was kind of doing that silly working stupid hours and she was working stupid hours and tempers were all right and i remember she kind of just gently grabbed me by the lapels and said breathe andy and it kind of it struck you know it really stuck <laughs> then, but then subsequently the irony is kind of i set this business up 2003 ish and i didn't you know i was trying to almost like intellectualize my well-being that i could try and fix myself in some way by trying to think my way to a solution and mm. what i've increasingly learned over the years is that the solution lies deep down in here by tuning in to how you're actually feeling to leaning into your struggles and your suffering to develop more of that self-awareness and and i think because i became so interested in the positive psychology space kind of like being aware of potential toxic positivity, mm. you know, almost kind of like, as Brené Brown says, like silver lining things rather than kind of as Kristen Neff does or Paul Gilbert go, you know, just go straight in there. It's feeling, you know, it's feeling tough. Own it, admit it. And then I would definitely say reach out to other people in a similar situation you know we often think that our struggles and our challenges are so unique oh, it's just me so egotistical <laughs> but actually you know sharing our challenges so that's the kind of advice you know uh, take your own medicine basically mm, no I, I, I love that one thing just to pick up on what you said because i know people will hear that and not want to take the advice what you said is about and i may and i'll just paraphrase but lean into your struggles and um, like when you feel pain lean into that pain whereas yeah. as people we tend to be programmed to almost numb it out you know and maybe that's our culture but you know we, we go through emotional uh, trauma but we have to put a brave face on so, you know you and i grew up in the uk where it was very you know we weren't taught to be emotional beings i certainly work in, in a large company you know at board level everyone the language became i think you know i had a leadership coach and i remember she said you know use the word feel a lot start using start replacing it i think and, mm. that, and i thought oh, that's interesting you know we we're not encouraged to really feel and mm. this was some years ago and i think the situation is different now but when you when you hear that uh, advice like what would you 
because it really is almost embracing pain with the belief that on the other side of that pain is going to be growth or you know some positive um, yeah. experience um, but people people won't want to do that because we we, we don't want to lean into pain so. yeah do you know and again that was like a really great question because you know i can have a non-self-compassionate voice to my early you know, learnings when I, back in 2005 and stuff, you know, I'm thinking, oh, well, perhaps I was using mindfulness and meditation and positive psychology as a kind of like a band-aid, as like a stress management tool, rather than kind of doing that deep dive into mm. what is really upsetting me, what is really challenging me, and what are the kind of, what are the, the that's where the gold dust is, right, that's where the learning growth is, but that's hard. And perhaps in reality, there's, I, I've thought about this for a long time, there's a kind of gradation. Maybe we use kind of meditation techniques in order to self-soothe and self-calm because that's what we need at that point. We don't need to shine a light into the most challenging aspects of our kind of life or childhood or problems at work, you know, or, or during the pandemic. We just need to like stop it, get on with it. And, and, and the same with positive psychology you know we kind of like a lot of aspects of like focusing on our strengths uh remembering that we have a negativity bias and we can use things like a gratitude journal or or, or being in awe or remembering the the positives from each day that's a really effective tool in helping sharpen our attention to remember that there is good stuff going on as well so i think it's a very nuanced approach that that might those things may be very appropriate at certain times in our lives and then perhaps when we're feeling more settled um more have more ability to really start shining the spotlight into the darker areas of our lives but we're doing it from a place of i've equipped myself with the tools i know if it gets a little bit uncomfortable for me to do that i can return to my breath i can reach out call a friend play with a dog you know i've got tools and resources i've learned so i think there might almost like my massage hierarchy of needs like there's maybe the nuts and bolts of learning positive psychology and the basics of mindfulness around focusing your attention and self-soothing and then you kind of weaves into the more complex right how am i going to use this stuff to become more self-aware and more self-compassionate mm. and learn from my struggles and lean into suffering yeah. Mm, no, I, I love that. Just moving the conversation on, because I know you spent a large part of your career uh, doing massage. And so what was it? Remind me, was it sports massage? What kind of massage yeah. therapy did you did you do? Actually, this is something we talked about when we first met. It was kind of I so I was living in Sydney and moved got us to come with KPMG and I kind of found this like Hawaiian massage center, which yeah. is kind of like Hawaiian massage. If you haven't tried it, try it. It's absolutely amazing. So, so I kind of like went on a like learn to massage weekend or something. And because of that, there was something about the body that was really, really interesting to me. Being and maybe it's because I'm so accountant left hemisphere, you know, kind of problem solving kind of person. So to be in the body. So yeah, I learned a lot of kind of. I I did a re remedial massage diploma here in Sydney and and kind of. Then as a physical therapist, you bolt on different other things as you kind of move through. But I did so much of that, you know, between 2002, three and 2010, you know, I, I kind of did tons of body work. Wow. And that is still, so I did, I did a, a workshop last week with a group of people up in Townsville and literally it's a bunch of senior leaders sitting there. I thought, okay, right. 
close your eyes, take hold of your right leg, just give yourself a bit of a massage, wake your right <laughs> leg up, wake your left. It was like, you know, the feedback, that was the best part of the workshop. <laughs> not, not the psychology, <laughs> none of that. No. So, so, so interesting. So you've really almost like you've, you've, uh, you've studied the mind, you know, through the positive psychology, you've studied the body through your, through your massage uh, treatment. And, um, and now you're kind of bringing it all together to give people those tools to help them really understand themselves. What one question, just going back, because again, this kind of marriage between the Eastern philosophies and the Western philosophies feels like a good collaboration. What, how would you how would you say the the mindset in the east in India for example uh, differs from the mindset in the in the west like what what is the fundamental difference because there is a difference but I'd love you to articulate that um, for us it's huge and it's huge you know obviously I'm not an expert and the different philosophies of kind of India and and China and and then are kind of like the Greek you know uh, Greek influence on uh, Socrates and so on and how those things interplay and I suppose how those different philosophies at a very subtle level impact our decision making right now so obviously you know in the US and the UK and also it's all about autonomy it's all about freedom it's all Whereas obviously um, in, in in China it's it, it's more more about harmony and harmony of the of the collective and the, and, and similar you know in, in India this idea of karmic consequences and having this kind of social structures in place and just doing the right thing and um, in order to, to to weave communities together now all those things have an impact on leaders and how they think but they may not be aware of those kind of like philosophical underpinnings which kind of like have been started in the axial age like two and a half thousand years ago right so i suppose that's where it's kind of um coming back to like we you and me growing up in the uk when we did in those big organizations where it's almost like drummed out of us this kind of emotional no you leave you park your emotions you leave them at the door that is it i actually remember that at kpmg from the you know the early 90s and stuff mm. And then thinking, all right, no, it's all about your left hemisphere. It's about problem solving. It's about, it's, where is this kind of Eastern approach? I'm like, hang on a minute. We need to, what is the greater good of the organization here? What is the greater good of my colleague? What is the greater good of my family? What is the greater good in my career? How do I balance all those things? Um, there's a lovely book. I'm forgetting the guy's name now, but it's called The Path and it's about Confucianism. And it's, it's a Harvard professor that's kind of introduced this program. I think it's at Harvard. I could be completely making up now. But it's like how you bring kind of Confucianist ideas into the kind of the Western mindset, how you bring the two things together. And I think that's a lot of what, what we try to do, what I try to do is kind of the weaving the Eastern collectivist kind of ideas, thinking not just about self, but about other. And it's not that we're being, suddenly we put ourselves last, far, far from it. You know, we need to be more self-aware and take greater self-care and put ourselves first in many ways so that we can consider the greater good, our teammates, what's important for them, our families, and so on. So that that, that would be my take on the kind of weaving no, the collectivist and the individual. And I, I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that insight. And that kind of brings us back, because I think a lot of times people perhaps translate some of those differences very literal. 
and and you, you touched on it it's like how can it be about me it must be about the collective which means that i should not focus on myself at all so it becomes you know out of equilibrium out of balance and uh, and i think we see that and i i, I know you've written an article recently for you know for us at, at well at work around the environment because of course we as people when you do wonder how we manage to survive at all really because we are juggling so many different things so many different decisions and choices trying to manage career and trying to manage family and trying to manage you know all kinds of other you know quite small decisions on a day-to-day -day basis was there's this avalanche of information coming to us you know all of the time and a lot of that can be very I guess you know fear inducing you know and the the whole concept about the environment, I know you're not an environmental expert, but you're a well-being expert. And I'd love to really just explore how we how we can get that balance on a day-to-day -day basis to remain positive, despite the fact that it feels at times that all of our ecosystems are being destroyed, that, uh, that the, the future of humanity is at risk that we as individuals have got it completely wrong, that we need to change our entire life and uh, be different, but we don't know exactly what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the old system is still in place. You know, industries are fueling growth and destroying the, and all of the stuff that we get, uh, that we see. And I know many, particularly younger people, really have that huge sense of responsibility. And, you know, we're balancing the kind of positive psychology philosophy is focused on your strengths. But I know many people who struggle to experience joy every day because they're so aware of the bigger problem, which is not going to get is not going to be solved on a day to day basis. But I'd love your perspective on that as how we can continue to um, experience joy on a daily basis and live a good life was the fact that there are some significant problems in our uh, in uh, our awareness that need uh, that need to that don't necessarily have solutions uh, yeah. at this point in time so all solutions that i'm not aware of that is a big question <laughs> <laughs> so big question. Question. Unpack, <laughs> unpack bits of it because i suppose part of it goes back to kind of the the, the, the buddhist principles of like well actually everything is changed and everything is impermanence you know that's that's one thing and as soon as we try and lock, lock antlers or lock lock into a particular way of perceiving this is how we want the world to be this is how we want our relationships to be to, to freeze them in time that's that's not how it is they change um you know i think i read somewhere it was like Karl Popper said something like, we often think that people are like clocks, they're Newtonian, they kind of like tick tock, there's no change, but they're more like clouds, they come together and they coalesce, so relationships are dynamic. So personally, mm -hmm. having an idea that we are dynamic, interchangeable, that I come to work one day and I'm different and you're different that next day. And I need to check in with you as well, just to see where you're at. So something about accepting impermanence. Secondly, there's there's something around accepting that we're always failing. We're always dropping the ball because I can't, you know, balance my um, care and compassion to my family back in the UK, my partner here, my work, my colleagues. So it was like constantly juggling uh, like so many different plates. And we always feel like we're kind of dropping one of those plates, right? So it's kind of something about feeling comfortable in that accepting that we do drop 
we're doing the best we can at each moment, right? Mm. Um, and then thinking about, well, how can we equip our energy levels so that we can put ourselves in the best place where we're not dropping so many, you know? So mm. that comes back to energy, self-care and, and so on and so forth. And then I think it comes back to, okay, then you overlaid that with the kind of the existential crisis of, okay, I'm looking after my career. Um, I'm handling the family and the kids and I'm homeschooling and doing a million different things. I'm doing all right with that. But now you're telling me literally we're <laughs> going to go more than 1.5 C. We're probably going to go 2 to 2.5 C. And already we're at catastrophic climate change. And that, that was kind of where I was with the, the webinar that I, you know, we got, we get together to talk about. And it was basically kind of like, I asked a whole bunch of environmental experts uh, from North Queensland and some from back in the UK, kind of working on the front line of climate change and kind of uh, research and mitigation strategies. So, okay, well, how do you handle stress and anxiety caused by climate change? And it was with an audience of uh, South Bank people in, in London and, um, you know, many of them were Gen Z and millennials and so you know, pretty stressed and anxious, pretty stressed and anxious, almost like to the point, a number of them, it was like, what's the point? What is the point of kind of going on? And it was really fascinating to hear the experts say, well, actually, I never really considered stress and anxiety caused by climate change or I'd never really thought about my stress reaction when I meet a climate change denier or somebody who's like, meh, apathetic. So we kind of really went down the, the rabbit hole of self-compassion and we started the story basically of, well, okay, where in your body do you feel that tension when you, fit, when you focus on aspects of climate change and that existential threat? And then sit with that physical feeling for a moment. Don't run away from it. What, what is that telling you? What's, it's, at a deeper level, it's telling you care about something. So it's revealing your values, what's meaningful to you. And then we talked about the idea of kind of like almost engaging the self-compassion response rather than the fight-flight response. If I'm terrified what's and i'm dropping balls everywhere in my career and i've got this existential overlay of the the world's going to end i might be having a fight flight response is that adaptive for me being a positive agent of change and being useful for my family and my friends but actually doing something in the world about climate change so it was great then to hear the uh, experts from the fields just to give some real proactive ideas for enabling people to nudge themselves forward. So we've revealed our values, what's meaningful. Our body is telling us, yeah, we're stressed as hell about that. We feel like that because we care. Okay, what little action we, can we take? And there was one, there was a, a lovely friend of mine from Sydney, he's called, I can't his business is called Lord of the Trees. So he's kind of one of these uh, people who are looking at reforestation using AI and stuff. And he gave this wonderful example of just walking around kind of central Sydney with his friends, taking the dog for a walk. And literally every piece of plastic he saw, he just picked up and he put it in the bin. And the, the, the person that was walking behind them said, you're my hero, you know. And it is a little bit, you know, almost like a Gandhi-like thing, you know, be the light you seek, be the change you want to be. And it, those small actions give you that feeling of agency. So it's something about where in your body do you feel it? Secondly, appreciate that you, we all drop the balls. It's normal. It's okay. Thirdly, how can you engage that self-compassion response? 
that means partly around self-soothing but it means talking to you and talking to me and talking to friends about this is stuff that I'm worried about. Yeah, we're all worried about it. What can we do about it? And then it's like a billion points of small little changes that can, can help. Because as soon as we kind of get the naysayers of like the obvious kind of, what's the point of me recycling when China is building 50 new coal-fired power stations a minute? <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's almost like, it's, it's kind of like almost like um, the freeze response, fight, flight, freeze. I'm stuck mm. like a rabbit in the headlights. But if I can just enact small change, reach out, share common humanity, we're all in it together. Um, that's that, 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 that's helpful. I, love, I love that. I love that. I think, I think that's super helpful. And, um, you know, and that what you just said about Gandhi, that just highlights that anything's possible, like the impossible can become the important because it's easy to do nothing. It's easy just to talk about, you know, our problems, but take no action and to, to give up and to be apathetic. Um, but when you bring that positive energy, and even though it may feel insignificant compared to, the, the might of China and so on, it still will have an impact if you continue to do that. Thank you for sharing that. That's a really uh, valuable and interesting um, perspective. Okay, we're almost out of time. So one, one last question that I ask everybody, you know, we're, we're all about finding equilibrium in all aspects of life. And, um, and um, you know, our belief is that balance is what we're always seeking. And when things become, you know, too extreme in any direction, then of course it requires an enormous amount of energy and well-being is being in balance uh, in, in all aspects of your life. And, but what does finding equilibrium, you know, mean to you? I'd love your your perspective on that well i've been worrying about that thinking about that actually throughout our conversation and and i suppose and my answer's changed because of the questions you've asked actually so i think it is it's partly about as many as the pe people who come on your kind of program um would say it's about your well-being systems you know these are the go-to things that i always go to come rain or shine if i'm having a hellish day at work or whatever I go for a swim in the morning or I meditate, you know, there's something some, I eat good food. I have a really clean kind of diet. And I know that if I kind of like pivot away from those things, then I get a bit of my energy levels, get a little bit of out, out of kilter. And then, you know, everything's just a little bit out of kilter. So it's not having that real strict, you know, I'm attached to this perfect body and this perfect mind. And like, I have to do this, 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 and this, otherwise that happens. It's, 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 it's not like that, but it's just having a general awareness that these are the things that nurture me. These are the people that nurture me. Am I checking in with them? You know, that's one thing. But then I think the second aspect is that thinking about balance, the, 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 the balance point, it's constantly changing every second. This is impermanent balance. It's balanced mm. for a second, then it's unbalanced. And it's like in Indian, you know, yoga philosophy or Hindu philosophy, the guy, the idea of Shiva. So you kind of like Shiva in the middle, dancing Shiva, and then a ring of flames around the outside, kind of like burning up the moment. Everything is change. All the god of destruction, if you like, constant, constant churn and change. And I think it's kind of to be in balance is to reflect that everything is change, your change, your aspects, your views can change. And as soon as we try and lock and hold on to those, then um, we're screwed. Basically, we're trying to hold on to something that's already <laughs> I, kind of gone. I, I love that. A word that's come up a lot in this conversation is that word acceptance. Um, it's accepting 
what is i mean you've said it many times um so um did you have anything else to add to that in terms yeah of actually the, thanks <laughs> i think it's like we played this out before but i suppose that it does come to acceptance at the halfway through this you know you said what would you say to yourself back in 2002-3 i think i have used meditation and mindfulness as a band-aid right rather than kind of using it but that's okay you know it was effective it was useful and now something has clicked in the last couple of years during the pandemic maybe you know we're away from our friends we're away from our family when i sit to meditate and i feel my back is aching or actually i feel a heaviness in my chest because i'm missing dad and kids and siblings and stuff that actually bring it on because that feeling of missing my family is like revealing values not to skirt away from it just to sit with it for a moment and by sitting in it and self-soothing and accepting it maybe with from that self-compassionate perspective i can hold the idea that yeah there's you know, from a Buddhist perspective, there's suffering in the world, but there's the thousand joys. There's taking the dog for a walk and lovely friends and good food and sunshine, you know. So I think that enables that balanced perspective by accepting for a moment, gently leaning into suffering, not wallowing in it, just holding it softly. I love that. It's a, it's, it's a balance in terms of actually being able to do that. So I really love that. Andy, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. I'd love to acknowledge you for the, you know, the amazing work that you've done. It feels like you've had um, 10 different careers and 10 different lives in terms of the different things that you've done. And thank you for bringing it all together and sharing so many words of wisdom with us today. Where, where can people find out more about you and your work and uh, follow the, um, the writings and the, the different webinars that you, um, that you do? Yeah, I, I guess like a lot of us, Lawrence, I mean, the, the, the one great place to go is obviously LinkedIn, you know, Andy Roberts. Um, but back in the UK, we've got our Breathe London business and we've got so many lovely, lovely, brilliant therapists. You know, my Tai Chi teacher, um, Laura, is one of my business partners. She's taught me for 20 years. She's in the practice doing acupuncture and so on. So there's a, there's a wealth of kind of like um, ideas and experience at Breathe London. And then here in Australia, but also back in the UK through my Breathe Australia um, coaching business, you know, that's, that, that's a place where I kind of like uh, share ideas as well. But I'd, I'd probably go to um, LinkedIn as a, as a place to kind of connect, really. Um, yeah. Okay, that's wonderful. And just uh, just uh, for clarity, so Breathe London is a physical place where people can go to get yeah. multiple treatments. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's Breathe. I should it's Breathe hyphen London, same Breathe hyphen Australia. It's kind of yeah. And we've got two centres, one in Covent Garden and one in Waterloo on the South Bank. So it's um, the one particularly. I probably expanding my time now, but that the, we set it up because we wanted to create a place for therapists who are excellent, brilliant, kind-hearted, shared values to come together under one place. So it's more like a community of well-being experts in one place. So we're really, really proud of that place. Amazing. Well, definitely for anybody in London, do check that out. And Andy, thank you again. Thank cool. you everyone for listening and we will see you next time. <laughs>